Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. And um, it's the third um, of our series. We started a couple of weeks ago looking at the, res- the power of the resurrection. Then Robbie did a very powerful job last week um, looking at Martha um, whenever she came upon the resurrected Lord in the garden. And we want to look at these post-resurrection appearance- appearances, and we've talked about this, um, as a means of encounter because um, all of them... In every, in every one of them that we look at over the next uh, month or so, um, we will see some heightened felt sense of something more than they had ever experienced before. And that's what I feel this time of encounter is about, something more, more than what we've ever had before, exceedingly, abundantly so. Remember, Mary wept. The two that we'll talk about today, their hearts burned within them. Thomas stood in awe and wonder, couldn't even do what he thought he would do by putting his finger in the print of the nails. On and on we could go. But um, um, these two on the road to Mass are interesting. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where you can't see something that's right in front of you. I had a funny experience this week. I've had a, I had an old cold sort of come on me before last weekend and then sort of run through most of the week. And, and the thing about this old head cold, it had really watery eyes. That doesn't give much to make my eyes water, but I had real watery eyes and, and, and struggled to see it sometimes because they watered that much. And, um, and so... Daniel, Daniel asked me the other night, would I make him a ham and cheese wrap? So I went to the fridge and I opened the fridge and I took out the packet of ham, watery eyes, took out the packet of ham, and Daniel stood beside me and I said to him, who would put an empty packet back in the fridge? There was no ham in the packet. And obviously I was looking at the packet like this here. Daniel stands back and he goes, Dad, you're stamping on it. <laughs> so... What I'd done, I took the packet of ham out upside down. The ham had fell on the floor. I hadn't seen that. And there I was standing on the ham. Now, it's frustrating. And the, the, the ham and cheese wrap was big deal in Daniel's eyes. But in the broad scheme of things, it's not really a big deal. But does this ever happen to you in the big things in life? Does it ever happen in the big things of life where you're looking for something important, but you just can't seem to see it? How about God? How about his presence? We talk about it all the time, but do we ever really see it? We look for him. We're told by preachers and by the more spiritually attuned friends that we have that he's right there. You've just got to look. He's right there. He's always there. But we just don't see him for ourselves. We sort of take their word for it. Well, um, instead of sensing God, sometimes you feel like he's gone dark for you. He's Looks like he's talking to everybody else, but he's not really talking to you. And um, this is where these two people were that we're going to talk about today, the two on the road to Emmaus. It was a dark place, all right? The last time they'd saw Jesus, he was dead, he was gone, and they thought he was never coming back. They'd made it through the last couple of days, but they were sad, discouraged, and depressed. But now they've heard from several women who followed Jesus and his body, um, said it wasn't at the tomb, and the angel that appeared telling them it was alive. They don't believe the women, obviously, um, which just adds to more confusion and more darkness, and they're, 
They're done in Jerusalem. The Passover feast is over. All the travelers are now heading the other direction, not to Jerusalem, but away. They're actually even moving in the wrong direction. They're heading home. Now, let's pick up the story, all right? Um, it says uh, that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Very powerful, isn't it? These two friends were told us about seven miles, so you're talking about an hour and a half or thereabouts. We have a little loop, Laurie and I do, when we leave our house and walk down past the train station, right down Dansborough, across, and then back up via McDonald's. And when we get to our gate, my watch clicks four miles exactly. And we try to push it in an hour. It's just maybe a wee bit over an hour and five minutes. That's four miles. So these people walked seven miles. And Lorraine walks pretty fast. I'm out of puff by the time I get home. And um, as they're talking... Um, the crucifixion and the empty tomb, they're talking about this. Imagine this scene. Jesus himself comes up and begins to walk alongside them. And God restrains their recognition. Maybe he wants them to see Jesus in a different way. We're not really told. Let's go on in the story. Next two verses. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleophas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? Now Luke gives us the name Cleopas because he's showing us the account is reliable. We're not sure who the other one was. It could be man and wife. It could be man and friend. We're not dead sure. But Cleophas gives us the idea, or Cleopas gives us the idea. There's a reference point. This is a true deal that really happened. <clears throat> what things, they asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet. Do you see that? Not the Messiah anymore. He's a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped. Wow. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What is more, it's the third day since all this took place. So they called Jesus a prophet. They... No longer see Jesus as the Messiah or Christ. They've lost their faith. They're finding it too hard to believe. It's too dark. Jesus is dead, so he must just be like one of the Old Testament prophets who had died. He can't possibly be the Messiah, the chosen of God. Because after all, the Messiah was supposed to come and liberate his people, and now Jesus is dead. When things get dark in life, when we lose our jobs or a loved one dies or tragedy happens... And our hearts don't sense Jesus. It's easy to say, maybe he's not who he thought we thought he was. Maybe he's not as powerful as we thought. Maybe I'm not as up far up in his Richter scale as I thought I was. They go on. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Cleopas and his partner, whoever they are, have trouble believing the women, citing the other disciples. Do you see these? The other disciples who didn't see Jesus. But now it's time for Jesus to answer them. Let's see the story. He said to them, 
How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, see this? He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus scolds them for not having hope and not realizing what really had happened. They thought the Messiah was going to be this political liberator, but Jesus shows them that that isn't what the Messiah ever said he was going to do. And he didn't come as a victorious military leader, but to achieve victory in another way through suffering, which you could hardly figure out. Um, And then it tells us this. It tells us as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. It's a long story, but it's a powerful story, and that God always blesses the reading of his uh, public reading of his word. So he said to him this morning, Speak, Lord, your sons and daughters are listening. Jesus pretends to keep going, but like good hosts, they invite him in to stay the night. He breaks bread, much like he did with the 5,000 in Luke 9 or at the Last Supper in Luke 22, we would read it. And finally, he stops restraining their eyes and they recognize him for who he really is as he hands him the bread and he's gone. And what they do immediately, they say, marvel at the scriptures the Bible tells us. Now, three things, just three things, and then I'd love us to pray, all right? Um, the first thing that we want to look at is they get to know the author. They get to know the author of the story. Jesus goes through a bird's eye view of the Old Testament to say that it's all pointing towards him. And um, it's not that every word in the Bible has Jesus in the sentence, but um, all, all the Bible points to Jesus. Many passages prefigure Jesus, like the opening pages of our Bible in Genesis 3.15 tells us that there's going to be a descendant of Eve who will crush the serpent. Of course, that's talking about Jesus. And on and on we could go, and we talk about this in our morning devotions. We look for Jesus on every page. All of the scripture points to Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all scripture. And the two travelers listen to Jesus talk and they begin to realize they've missed something, that Jesus had come to liberate his people, but not as a mighty warrior, as they said, but as a sacrificial lamb. And these disciples knew the Bible. They knew the idea about the Messiah. They, you could say they were good church, synagogue-going, Torah-keeping Jews. They had listened to many interpretations of the Old Testament, but in this moment, they were listening to the author of it all. They were listening to the author of all the scriptures, and all of a sudden, it felt different. They'd never heard it told this way before. All of a sudden, do you remember? Um, I remember doing those things where we connect. Do you still do that? Connect the dots where we, you fill in all the dots and then you get the picture. And it feels like Jesus is just connecting all the dots for them. And the fa- fascinating part of this story is Jesus was telling them the story concerning himself and they didn't know it was him. And I'm pretty cool, all right? They were coming to understand that the man that had known as Jesus, who had hung on the cross three days earlier, 
was the fulfillment of the story. Jesus is proving to them that this was, they'd got it all right, they hadn't got it all wrong, they'd actually got it all right, but they didn't know it was Jesus who was making them believe that it was all right. And because this, of what this story is, and the Bible being all about Jesus, he's knitting it all together, he's bringing all the law and the prophets, and they'd never seen it this way before. One big story all pointing to him, they were encountering the author of the story. They were walking with the God of the universe who loved them enough that he would send his son to come and walk with them. And this story reminds us of the very heart of the gospel. Because the very heart of the gospel is this, as curious as we are, first and foremost, we are not the seekers of the lovers. We are the sought and the beloved. It's God who seeks out. We didn't choose him, but he chose us, set his love upon us. So we sometimes think we're the seekers and the lovers, but we're actually the sought and the beloved. We are the people who Jesus came and sought after. And everything changed when the author himself walked along and they were moving from the familiar to the fascinated. They were becoming fascinated with this story. It felt more personal. It felt more real. It was as if they were hearing the greatest story ever told by the greatest person who ever lived. Amazing, isn't it? And, and, and not only were they becoming to know the author more, but in coming to know the author more, they began to understand their own story better. They began to understand their own story. In other words, they came to realize that their own story only made sense in the big story. I watched Barry come in this morning with his mom, not to embarrass you, Barry, but, you know, over the last weeks and months, getting to know you and... Um, um, watching you get to know the author of the story and watching you and knowing that now your story makes a little bit more sense because you know the author of the story. <laughs> it, it, it just works out. I'm not that your heart works, but it works. The more we know him, actually the better we love we know ourselves. And everybody loves a story, don't they? Everybody loves a story. We love sitting around fires. Rick and Ruth love sitting around fires and kitchen tables and barbecues and friends and family reliving and retelling stories from our lives. You remember that time then? You know, you and your kids said, tell us a story when you were young and all and on we go. We, um, all, all of this, we all love a story and it's something fundamental to our existence that we're all drawn into a story. And each one of us here today have a story. Everybody has a story to tell. And uh, a, a, a story to be shared and a story to be experienced. But what if, what if we can only understand our purpose in life by allowing the story of our lives to find fulfillment in a bigger story? And, and what if, to take it a step further, what if in that bigger and more beautiful story, it's not one that we're merely called to read about, but it's actually one we're called to participate in? Isn't that amazing? That God calls us not just to read about his story, but actually to become participators, to become that our story actually starts to make sense in his big story. And all of it starts to come together. It's a bit like some of the great movies. I'm, I'm, I love epics. So I love epic movies that go through lifetimes. I love that, like um, Downton Abbey and stuff like that. Those are my any period drama, are my favorites. But... Um, Sometimes what happens is we get this idea of a worldview, and a worldview, we, we get all these wrong ones. And so 
And, and when we watch movies like this, I think it's maybe on the next slide, Miss Havisham, do you remember her? Great Expectations, remember that story? And Miss Havisham, she, she, got, she got jilted at the altar. And so what happened was she, she, she stopped all the clocks in the house. The table that was set up for the reception stayed for years and for decades. Nothing moved on. Everything stopped at the moment her life stopped. At the moment her, she couldn't imagine her story without other people in it. She couldn't imagine her story without her lover in it. And so everything just stopped and time stood still. Um, and uh, our stories actually only make sense in community. Little phrases, we complete each other. You need me and I need you. And that's the, the thing about it. And the problem is, the problem is the world is telling us so many different stories. The worldview is a, a belief system that shapes one's perceptions, values, and actions. It's the anchor upon which we, we anchor our lives to. And some of the things that are going on out there at the minute aren't true. Some of those stories are wrong. We have the story of sexual freedom. Al talked about these in Portadown last week. Um, sexual freedom, if it feels right, do it when you want, how you want, where you want, with who you want. It's the wrong story, and our kids have been fed this every day of the week. The story of expressive individualism, my right. I want what I want, and I want it now. It's my rights. The story of, of political ideological, ideology. Ideology. Yeah, yeah, that big word. Ideology. Yeah, yeah. Ideology. Ideology. Thanks, Rick. And here's the thing about ideology. Here's the thing about the political stuff is you can strip this right back to Marxism, Nazism, democracy, everybody having a voice. And it, it, we, we see it now. We see it that it's not working. Materialism, this is a big one. Have more, earn more. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll feel better about yourself the more money you have. And this one, this last one, which our kids are buying into left, right, and center, the celeb culture, where um, if you can't be one, at least be obsessed with one. And, and this is the, this is, and each one of these stories offers a different worldview. And when we absorb ourselves into these scripts or our hearts and minds, even subconsciously, we become characters in the wrong story. And that's the world we live in today. But the big point is, when you meet the resurrected Jesus, when you meet the resurrected God, and he tells you the big story of God, because this is what happened with these guys, this is when you begin to find your own story. This is what happened. They asked each other, um, were not our hearts burning within us when we talked along the road and opened the scripture to us? And they get up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. Remember a, minute, a while ago it was we had hoped? We had hoped, but it wasn't really him. Now it is true. The Lord has risen and, and, and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened in the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. And all of a sudden, the feeling of disappointment, we had hoped, past tense, um, becomes the amazing present reality. It is true. He is risen. And so what happens is they get to know the author of the story. They begin to understand their own story. And in doing that, they become participators to be able to tell the story to other people. Isn't that beautiful? 
and they run back. Ultimately, these two travels, travelers, realizing it was Jesus, they run the seven miles back to Jerusalem, hearts burning, minds renewed, their feet ran with resurrection power. And they're telling the truth. They're telling their encounter of a risen Jesus. It's pretty cool. And this is so good, but this is, this is the results of resurrection encounter. And this is what we're feeling at this moment. This is because it's common across all, all appearances. We'll see this in the weeks to come. There's something happens. They cannot not tell others. The result is catalytic. It's, it's overflowing. It's uncontainable. It's immeasurably more than we've ever thought. We get to tell others the story of our life because it finds meaning when we know this from the personal testimonies that we've had. Some people say, I, I, I just don't know what to say, but I found Jesus and just everything starts to make sense. Everything just starts to, it's like all the, all, all the, all the slots just seem to fall into place. And, um, and here's the truth, folks. Our culture has exhausted itself. Uh, we find ourselves in a society that is Morally bankrupt, financially bankrupt, politically bankrupt, um, on mirror to anything that can anchor us in their stories. And the Christian story, I feel, over the years, has um, no longer become the sort of prevailing narrative shaping the attitudes and behaviors of our culture. But here's my, here's my point, here's my point. The world is telling our generations a lesser story. There's no doubt about that. But maybe we have a chance. Maybe, just maybe we have a chance because despite the best efforts of those narratives that I've talked to you about, none of them, they've just, they've just come up with empty promises. None of them have, have been able to deal with humanity's fundamental issue, not sin. They just can't deal with it. And, and the freedom which they offer is just a myth. And what if, what if we are living in a moment where we've never had a better chance to compassionately and confidently tell the story of God to a tired, anxious, and disillusioned generation? And those disappointed souls who, just like the two on the road to Emmaus, are walking through a world where we had hoped. We just hoped things might be better. I've just lived my life hoping that things might just get better, that maybe this week might just work out, that maybe tomorrow things might just turn. We had hoped. We had hoped. But what if, what if like Jesus, these two, um, that we could lead our, 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 our neighbors and friends to sit around a table and tell them the God story, tell them the story that can change their lives. It's the least we can do. It's the least we can do. Just tell the story, embody it, get to know it. We allow the themes of the story to shape our very life. And after the encounter in the mass road, these disciples moved from story listeners to storytellers. They weren't just listening to the story anymore. They were telling the story. They were embodying the story. They were living the story. And my reason for my pilgrimage next month is this. I want to make it my life's ambition for the rest of it, whatever I have, to tell this story the best I can. And that should be all our ambitions. That we live the rest of our lives making a vow to God that we're going to live this story and we're going to tell this story the best we ever can. 
Pete, um, Peter Linus does this great talk about all the isms, materialism, humanism, all the isms that are going this way. And they're taking our world, they're taking our kids in, in, in different directions. But he says there's one thing that cuts across them all, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. And it cuts across all the isms because that's the thing that makes the difference. Dave's going to come up um, and we're going to, I'd love us just to pray. Our time's near gone, but I'd love to take a few minutes and pray. And this is what I'd love to talk to you about, all right, just for a moment. There's an interesting passage that says, um, they, when Jesus went to move on, it says they urged him strongly to stay. We're used to praying little simple prayer, prayers, aren't we? Lord, bless me. Lord, help me. Lord, fill me. Lord, um, look after my kids. Lord, watch my grandkids. I, I pray those prayers too, by the way. And I call them like the shopping list prayers. But I wondered when I read this story, when was the last time I urged Jesus strongly? Where I said, God, I can't do this without you and here's the truth church we could play the game we could do church we could do it on our own we've, we've been doing it for years and we could play the game of church like many other churches do and I'm not being do, derogatory against them in any shape or form but if God turns up it's a bonus I don't want to be in a church like that I don't want to lead a church like that I don't want to be around a church like that I want to be around a church that urges Jesus strongly to say, we cannot, and not only we cannot, we will not do this without you. And so here's the deal. I'd love us just to bow, bow our heads, close our eyes, please. There's some of you in the room today, I know there is, there's some of you in the room today, and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, and this is your moment, and this is your day. This is your moment to urge Jesus strongly. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not rocket science, really. It's just repenting of your sin. God, I'm sorry for my sin. And I turn to you and I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you could pray that simple prayer for the first time and you'd like to and you're doing it now, would you, would you slip your hand up so I can see you? I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to embarrass you in any shape or form. I just love to know you're in the room. This is your moment. And maybe you're in the room and you're, things are okay. There's some things that you just, you, you say, we had hoped, oh, we just hoped things would have worked out a little bit better than that. Um, I'd love to pray for you. And thirdly, I'd love to pray for you that you're just saying, Jesus, I'm urging you today into my life afresh. I'm urging you into my family, into my kids, into my grandkids. I'm urging you, come today. If that's you in any of those categories in the room, would you stand? Allow me to pray for you just quickly, and then we're going to sing a song.
Well done for standing, urging him strongly. God, we urge you strongly into these people standing in this room right now for whatever the reason. Lord, sometimes our lives can just get into autopilot and we're just doing this stuff and we come to church on Sunday and everything's okay, but we just want more. We want more, God. We just want more of you. We're not satisfied with the mediocre. We're not satisfied just with the little um, bits around the edges. God, we want you. We want you more. We're urging you strongly today. We're urging you strongly, God. Would you come in this place, we pray. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.